Psalm 63, 1 through 8. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is the word of the Lord. I didn't know you guys do that. You can grab a seat and keep your Bibles open to Psalm 63. And uh, we'll look at Psalm 63 in a little bit in more detail and also Psalm 62. So uh, lots of familiar faces. Um, Welcome. Uh, (laughs) I'm glad to be here, glad to open the scriptures and uh, share with you a little bit. Uh, This morning, our subject is pursuing spiritual maturity, and uh, there's a lot of ways we could look at this, but we'll just take a few minutes in Psalm 63. Uh, My job for the next couple of moments is to open up the scriptures to you and hopefully uh, help you see it a little more clearly and uh, then apply it to your life. Your job is to sit under the authority of scripture and also to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you that you would respond appropriately to what he might say to you today. So one of the strongest themes uh, in the New Testament is that the person who comes to faith in Christ for salvation is then to go on and grow to spiritual maturity, to become a a full-grown disciple of Jesus. Colossians 1.28, the Apostle Paul says, For we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we might present everyone complete or mature or perfect, depending on your translation, in Christ. And then Paul says, that's the reason that I do what I do, is to produce mature believers. Uh, Hebrews 6.1 says, therefore let us leave the elementary or the simple teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. 1 Corinthians 13.11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man or an adult, I put childish things behind me. Paul had a lot to say to the perpetually uh, immature church at Corinth. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants or babies. He's mocking them in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for solid food. Indeed, you are still not ready. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be what? Infants or babies. Uh, Baby dedications are great, and I I love that we had a dedication here just a moment ago, but it's the desire of parents that their children grow up to maturity, and they don't come up for baby dedication on a yearly basis. Baby David will not be up here again next year. Uh, His parents have already said, this is our hope and our prayer. 
And parents, any parent here knows that we're always looking towards the next step with our children. Oh, he's walking. Oh, she's talking, finally. Oh, he's toilet trained. That's great. She got her driver's license. She's graduating from college. Only two more payments. Soon we'll have an empty nest. This is what parents long for. The problem is, in our culture, is that we have a problem with understanding maturity. We, we live in a culture, frankly, where maturity of any variety is simply not valued. All you have to do is look at some of the uh, cultural icons in music or the arts or in uh, the movies, and, and you see that so many of the people that our society lifts up as, oh man, these, these are the icons of our culture, are incredibly immature. I was going to give you a list of names, but why don't you and your, right now just get a list in your mind of cultural icons you think they just act oftentimes like children. Elon Musk. Oh, I already said one name. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. F. Scott Fitzgerald, what a funny guy to, for me to quote here. He says, being grown up, being mature is a terribly hard thing to do. It's much easier to skip it and go from one childhood to another. And frankly, that's what a lot of people in our world do. We live in this culture that does not encourage or value uh, maturity. Let me give you just a couple of observations before we look more deeply at Psalm 63. And, and these are just some general comments uh, to help us think about spiritual maturity. Number one, age is no guarantee of maturity. It's not like Social Security that kicks in at 65 automatically. You don't hit a certain age or a certain place in life and, oh my gosh, all of a sudden I'm mature. It just doesn't work that way. You know, uh, Daniel and Ryan, when they asked me to teach this morning, they, they gave me a lot of latitude. You know, whatever you want to do, it's kind of a one-time deal. And obviously, you know, I got the whole Bible to choose from. And uh, why did I choose spiritual maturity? And I was thinking about it uh, this morning, frankly, sitting on the couch and going over what I was going to share with you today. And I think part of the reason why I wanted to speak about spiritual maturity today is because, well, I've been a pastor uh, in Santa Barbara for over 40 years. My wife and I and our children and our grandkids have lived here our whole lives. And one of the things that has really saddened to me as I've gotten to be an older guy is watching friends who I used to pray with and worship with and serve in ministry with slowly drift away from a vibrant faith in Christ, some even leaving the faith altogether. And I'm not talking about young people, I'm talking about older people who I spent decades with. And so, it's just a warning for us. Age is no guarantee of spiritual maturity. Uh, maturity, spiritually, is not simply doing the right thing. Uh, so many of us have grown up in a context that say, if you just read the Bible more, if you just pray more, if you just go to church more, if you just do a missions trip more often, then you'll be spiritually mature. And I just want to remind us, it does not work that way. You can do all of the right things and remain a spiritual baby. So uh, we, we just have to be really careful about that one. Um, a Christian stereotype of maturity will kill it. So just... Nobody say anything out loud that would be rude, but uh, just get in your mind somebody that you think of who is spiritually mature. Now ask yourself a question. Do you really want to be like that person? <laughs> Sorry. I, you know, I grew up in, in, a, in a church where all the people who were the spiritual 
icons, gurus, leaders in our church. When I was a high school boy, I thought, you know, I really love Jesus, but I don't want to be like that guy. He's kind of boring. And so sometimes we can get a picture in our minds of what spiritual maturity looks like, and think, well, I don't really want that. And then lastly, just in, I'm just trying to lay some groundwork here. Spiritual maturity is really easy to fake in a church. Now, I know about churches, and I know that people can fake it really, really well. I, I love to work out uh, at the gym. I love to go to the gym. You, you can probably tell. But, um, <clears throat> no, kidding. Uh, but I was in the gym one day, and I was doing my thing, and I, there was a guy, an older guy, sitting on one of those reclining bikes where it goes like this, but he had a book, and he was reading his book, and every once in a while, he'd just give a couple of rounds on the bike and smile. He was, very happy. He was having more fun than all the rest of us in the gym, and I'd kind of walked by him as I was doing different exercises, and I'd look at him, and he'd, he'd smile and just maybe do one or two rotations on his reclining bike, and Finally, I just stopped in front of him. I said, what are you doing? And he, said, he laughs. He says, well, my wife thinks I'm working out. <laughs> spiritual maturity is easy to fake. So what does a spiritually mature Christian look like? What does it mean to be spiritually mature? And this morning, I want to take just a couple of minutes to look at King David's life and see what we can learn about spiritual maturity. Now, I want you to know, I don't think there's any sort of formula for spiritual maturity. You do one, two, three things, and all of a sudden you come out spiritually mature. But you're, you, you can see in the Psalms in particular some of the attitudes that David developed that helped his spiritual growth, and hopefully we can learn from some of that. Uh, David was Israel's second king, Saul, David, Solomon. He was pursued by Saul. Most people don't realize this. He was pursued by Saul for 14 years. 14 years, David, as the anointed king of Israel, was on the run. He was a fugitive. He was running and fearing for his life. Probably the most famous episode in David's life is his adultery with Bathsheba. You can read about that and his response in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And then, consequently, the tragic murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Things went from bad to worse. The son from that union of David and Bathsheba died. Uh, there was a daughter of David who was raped by one of his sons, uh, Amnon. David's other son, Absalom, waits two years to get revenge, and then he murders brutally his brother, uh, Amnon. And then Absalom starts a rebellion against his own father's rule and dies a very, very tragic death. So David had a family that, to put it mildly, was dysfunctional. David would never have been invited to be a speaker at a conference on marriage and family. It just wouldn't work. David had a difficult life. Uh, at some points, a tragic life. Some of it was his doing. Uh, he, he did not have it all together, and some of it was not his doing. But this is the guy who wrote much of the prayer book in the Bible, the Psalms, that hopefully is open in your lap. And I would assume that many people in the room this morning can relate to David at one level or another. Maybe you have experienced family pain, family dysfunction. Maybe you've experienced illness or divorce or unwanted singleness or infertility or sexual abuse. The list is long. 
And in spite of the sin and the problems in David's life, in Acts 13, 22, God calls David a man after his own heart. <laughs> that is quite a statement. That is an amazing statement. And David had a successful, even a mature spiritual life, even though there were failings and stumblings along the way because of some of his attitudes. Why was David a spiritual man in spite of all of these failures? What helped his maturity? And I want to suggest that the attitude that was central, that was key to David's spiritual success and maturity was a longing and a desire for God. Back to Psalm 63. Here we go. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. I've seen you. In the sanctuary, I beheld your power, your glory, because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as, my, as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Would you notice the words, earnestly, I seek you. My soul is thirsty for you. My body longs for you, God. Love and loving you, God, is better than life. This is a consistent theme throughout the psalm. Psalm 27, 4, David says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may <clears throat> dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze or to look upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. A huge part of David's success spiritually was a longing for or desiring for God and in verse 2 of this psalm, he says, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I beheld your glory. I, I saw it, and I can't get away from it. David saw God, and he simply wanted more. So let me ask you a question. You have to apply this to your life. Do you have a clear vision of who God is? His greatness, his glory, his majesty. Are there any moments that it just overwhelms you? Do you see it? Some years ago, uh, I was, because I was vain, I was trying to teach the Bible without my glasses on, and I was getting to an age where I needed to have glasses to, to see the scriptures, and more and more people in, in our church would say, well, what translation are you reading from? <laughs> Which meant I was kind of going off memory, and I could, I'd look at my Bible, and I couldn't really see it, and I went to speak at a Another church is a guest teacher one night, and, you know, in the evening, your eyes get worse, and I got there, and I'd forgotten my reading glasses at home, and I got up to preach, and I looked at the Bible, and I couldn't see a thing, and a guy in the front row came running up real quick, gave me his glasses, and we got through the night. I have found that you get much more out of the Bible when you can actually see it. It just works that way. Do you have a vision? Can you see it? Have you seen it? The beauty and the greatness of God. July 4th, 1952, a woman named Florence Chadwick attempted to be the first woman to swim the 21 miles from Long Beach to Catalina. She jumped in the water 
and she was in the water, if you can believe this, for 15 hours and 55 minutes. There's boats alongside of her, guiding her. She was about a half a mile from Avalon in Catalina, and she stopped in tears and demanded to be taken into the boat. And the people in the boat that were taking care of her, they said, well, are, are you hungry? And she said, no. Are, are, are you cold? No. She says, I'm just done. I want to get in the boat. And she got in the boat. And the reason was because she spent almost 16 hours in one of those types of time that we get in California where there's a soupy fog on the coast and she could never see anything from the time she left Long Beach until just before her destiny. And she had a breakdown of sorts. Three months later, on one of those magical days that we get in Southern California when the Santa Ana winds are blowing lightly and you can see the islands crystal clear, she jumped in the water and beat the men's record by three hours. And they asked her, why? And she said, I could see it. And she would stop and she'd look and she could see Catalina. Head down, go again. She could see it. Have you seen it? Have you seen God's glory? Have you beheld his glory? I've observed that so many Christians are passive when it comes to their relationship with God. A lot of you are aggressive at work. That's good. A lot of you are aggressive financially with investing and trying to do well for yourself and your family. That's good. A lot of you are very, very uh, aggressive with friendships and relationships. That's important and it's good. Many of you are aggressive in your athletic endeavors. You're wanting to stay in shape. Maybe you're a runner or you play a particular sport and it's a huge part of your life. That's, that's good. It is very possible to be aggressive in many areas of life and then it comes to your spiritual life to become passive and non-aggressive. Are you passive or aggressive with God? Are you passive or aggressive with wanting to move on to spiritual maturity? Well, part of David's genius is he pursued God. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I want to give you a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards um, was probably the most famous uh, pastor and theologian, 18th century. Um, can we get that quote up there? Hopefully, because this, he's a little ponderous, so you have to give him a little bit of uh, flexibility here, because he wrote in the 18th century. But here's what he says. Persons, that means people, need not set any bounds on their spiritual and gracious appetites. Rather, they should be endeavoring by all possible ways to inflame their desires to obtain more spiritual pleasures. Our hungers and thirstings after God and Jesus Christ and after holiness can't be too great for the value of these things, for they are of infinite value. He goes on. Therefore, endeavor to promote spiritual appetites by laying yourself in the way of allurement. I think that's a great sentence. We don't talk that way right now. But Jonathan Edwards says, as this pastor, uh, promote spiritual appetites by laying yourself in the way of allurement. There is no such thing as excess in our taking of spiritual food. There is no such thing as temperance in spiritual feasting. 
Now, most of us, when we sit down to a big dinner, realize we probably shouldn't eat everything that we see and want. And so we uh, moderate our appetites, if you will. But here, Jonathan Edwards is saying, when it comes to God, when it comes to spiritual appetites, you can't eat too much. You can't be a spiritual glutton. This is all good to lay yourself in the way of allurement, to inflame your desires. How does that happen? Last week, my mom and I, who's here this morning, went to Savoy Cafe down in downtown, which we just love Savoy Cafe, and we had a great lunch together and chatted, and um, she said to me, she said, do you want to get dessert? I said, oh, no, no, I, you know, no. She said, why don't you just go look at the, at the case? <laughs> and if you've ever been to Savoy, it's like, oh my gosh, they have dessert. And so I, like, just because I love my mom, I'm like, okay, mom, I'll go look. So I go and look. <laughs> Oh, man, come back to the table and I say, why don't you go look? And so she goes and she looks. And long story short, we ended up with the, the largest, most scrumptious uh, brownie with chocolate sauce on top. And it's all because we kept looking. And we kept seeing what was out there. We laid ourselves in the way of allurement. We enticed ourselves. We inflamed our desires. And we are to do the same thing spiritually. Where are you going on vacation this summer? Think about it. I, I, I'm hoping that, that we get to go to Iceland. That's, Don and I have been trying to go to Iceland forever. So you know what I'm starting to do? I get out pictures of Iceland. And I look at the beautiful waterfalls and the lakes and the rivers and the incredible scenery. Maybe you're going to Hawaii. How do you get ready to go to Hawaii? You look at pictures of Hawaii. And you get excited about what is coming. Well, that's what we're to do spiritually. We're to entice ourselves. Now, some of you might say, Steve, fair enough. I'm kind of with you, what you're sharing here out of Psalm 63. Uh, it's great that David felt this way, but I don't tend to have that sort of desire for God. It's not, it's not that I don't love God. I do. I'm a Christian. But I, I don't have that this language that's in Psalm 63 that's so over the top. I, I don't necessarily feel that way. Question, can you develop that type of passion for God? And I would suggest you can. And I want to just give you two hints as I wrap this up of how David developed a longing for God. He made two great discoveries and the first is this, we have a slide on this one. His first discovery is that God alone satisfies. God alone is the one who provides satisfaction. When you're thirsty, what do you want? Generally, water. And it's the thing that satiates that, that thirst. And water is such a strong metaphor in the Bible, in the Psalms in particular. Psalm 42 is the deer longs for flowing streams. My soul pants for you, O God. Jesus picks up this theme in John 4 with the woman at the well when he speaks of living water. Jesus tells her that if she drinks this water, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will never be thirsty. They will be satisfied. Jesus taught it. David discovered it. God alone satisfies. C.S. Lewis, who seems to have something to say just about everything, 
and his little volume on the Psalms refers to God all the way through that volume as the all-satisfying object. That's Lewis's way of interpreting what is a major theme in the Psalms, that God is the one who satisfies all those longings in our heart. Have you ever thought, this is especially true for those of you that are college students, have you ever thought what it would take to satisfy you in life? How much money would it take to satisfy you? Rockefeller, when he was the richest man in the world some years ago, was asked that question, how much is enough? His answer was always $1 more. How much would it take to satisfy you socially? Friends, possibly. Possibly the uh, perfect church. We all know that that perfect church is out there. How about employment? The perfect job. David had unlimited opportunity. David had unlimited sexual opportunity. He had wives and concubines. He had unparalleled wealth, military power, and yet David, a man who had everything, panted like a deer to be with God. I would challenge you this morning to not be looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Why settle for less? David invites us to do this in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. One last Jonathan Edwards slide that we have for you um, this morning. Again, 18th century language, so be patient with him. The enjoyment of God, the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied, to go to heaven to fully enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives and children of the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. Discovery number two David made is that God alone provides security. We spend a lot of time in our world, don't we, and in our lives looking for security. We strategize to cover all the bases. We even cheat on some of our own principles at times uh, to ensure security. Uh, a relatively famous philosopher, Alistair McIntyre, at one point uh, was a guy who was a very strong atheist philosopher and very outspoken about his atheism. He says, there is no God, but it's wise to pray to him from time to time. So we can cheat on our own principles. King David, like everyone else, was concerned about his security, and he tells us about it in Psalm 62. So briefly, would you look at Psalm 62? My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? How will you throw him down this leaning tower, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place they take delight in lies with their mouths, they bless, but they curse, in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend upon God. He is my rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge." If you're giving to underlining your Bibles, underline rest, salvation, rock, fortress. David is well aware of the temptation to find security 
elsewhere in life. I just want you to look at verse 8 again. This is an invitation. This is a plea for us to find our security in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him. God is our refuge. David made the great discovery that I hope each of us can make, that God alone provides security. Now, I don't know that many of you in this room, but I do know a lot about the human condition. Have you been shocked by a divorce? Have you been shocked by the loss of a job? Have you been shocked by a friend who you thought you would walk with the rest of your life and they turned out not to be a friend? Have you been shocked by an investment that you thought would really do well and you lost everything? Have you been shocked from a call from the doctor who says, well, the tests are back and they're not good? Mature Christians realize that we are to find our security in a trustworthy God who is referred to in this psalm as rock, salvation, fortress. And trying to find security in life within ourselves, in our relationships, in our financial portfolio, etc., is a mark of immaturity. Ultimate security is to be found outside of ourselves, not in ourselves. Let me end with... Uh, Maybe a silly story, but I hope it helps. So if you're in college, you, you probably missed this, at least in Santa Barbara. But uh, quite a few years ago, there was a, a fad in Santa Barbara uh, of roller hockey. Roller hockey was a big deal. Now, maybe I just got too old, but I don't think roller hockey is a big thing right now. I think it's kind of passe. But there was a season when roller hockey was huge and uh, all kinds of teams, and we played over it in a league at Earl Warren Showgrounds. It was super fun. But most of the guys that, that played hockey had never played ice hockey, and you're on roller skates now, and it's, it's kind of difficult to do. And you got a stick, and the, the skates move, and the puck moves, and it was, it was just humbling, but it was really fun, and it was very, very competitive. Trust me, it was really competitive. But what happens in a city league, I don't care if you're a softball player or basketball or soccer, if you're in a city league, over time, you get to know all the other teams, and you kind of, before a game even starts, you have a pretty good idea if you're going to win or lose, right? So one night, we went over to Roller and Showgrounds, and there was a group from our church that were playing roller hockey. None of us were very good, to be honest. We, we were having a lot of fun trying to learn this. And it takes a long time to get dressed for roller hockey. you got pads to put on and skates, and, you know, there's a lot of gear to put on. And we're all on a bench, and all the guys from our church, nobody's saying a word because we're looking down at the other bench, and they're all guys from UCSB. And they're all, like, way younger than we are and way faster and way stronger and way more skilled. And they're having a great time. They're putting their gear on, and they're high-fiving each other, and they're laughing, and they're talking. Our bench is dead silent because we know we're about to get killed. And then a car comes in the parking lot, and uh, this guy gets all his gear together, and he, he comes running up to the bench, and he's losing everything, but he, he gets it all there. And a magical thing happened. The whole bench of UCSB players go dead quiet. And our bench starts coming to life. Hey, it's going to be a good game tonight. 
hey, this is going to be awesome. We're, we're starting to laugh and talk. Here's what happened. The, the guy that came, his name is Johan. Johan is from Sweden. Johan played on the junior national Swedish hockey team. All of a sudden, our demeanor changes, not because of any increase in our ability. I'm still the same lousy player, but now I know because of another person, my confidence has just soared. And we went on to humble these UCSB guys, not because of us, but because of him. Our confidence is not based on our own ability, but someone else's. And for the Christian who wants to grow to spiritual maturity, we trust in the one who is the all-satisfying object and who provides security in spite of the ups and downs of life. I hope that you have found something encouraging and something challenging in Psalm 63 and 62 this morning. And I would encourage all of us to not be satisfied with less, but to press on towards spiritual maturity. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this gift of new life that we have in Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would be a, a group of people who not just believe, but continue to believe and continue to press on towards being strong mature believers. Thank you for the lesson and the gift of David that we see in Psalm 63 and 62 and really through all the Psalms. We're so thankful for the scriptures, Lord, that teach us. Holy Spirit, help us to hear. Amen.